This guy? Oh, nice. Good. There we go. I don't have to... Okay, hi everybody. So, um, we're, um, we're good, we're good, we're good. We're good. So we're going to start, um, in a minute. Uh, I just need permission from all of you. I don't know what your days have been like, but maybe I thought we should start with, uh, We'll do a little bit of singing in a minute, but maybe we'll start with some silence just to settle the, the day. And just a, a, my only warning is that um, it, it you know it makes sense that if you close your eyes now and you try to meditate, it's really a prescription for sleepiness for, to go to sleep. But um, so try our best to to uh, I'll pause this for you if you want. Uh, you two minutes listens, could also listen. take two minutes. Okay, sure. So let's take two minutes of uh, complete silence and uh, letting the day go a little bit so that, you know, I said we, last week we were saying, I asked you all if you would just do me um, and the class uh, the, uh, the honor of making the next hour and a half into Shabbat. So, like, in, so we'll just close the phones, if you could. Is this on... Airplane or air, air, air something. <laughs> Fly with me. So all, all phones are off. If we could, I know that you know. What are we going to do about the house, Deborah? I know. Oh. So the, the phone will ring. It'll be fine. It's very It'll be fine. It'll be fine. We'll just be on Shabbat mode. And Judy, are you going somewhere? Okay. So that's a good moment. We'll just. Uh, Take two minutes, and, um, and we'll sing a little song at the end of the two minutes.
Okay, everybody, so here we are. Shabbos again. Spent the whole the last two days um, in a retreat in someone's apartment here in New York. And essentially, um, praying all day with interruptions for, uh, for email and other things. So I'm a little bit spaced out. <laughs> Can I say? That's what happens when you sit all day and pray. So beautiful. And um, I just want to notice something. It's like, did you notice when we were you were singing that when I stopped singing, the, the energy would come down a little bit? Did people notice that? Am I the only one? Did you notice that? So that's that's one of the dangers of of, of being a rabbi of a shul. Is that people think that you're driving the nigun. And I'm not driving it, I'm just the steering wheel. I'm not the one with the foot on the gas pedal. I'm one of the feet on the gas pedal, you know. And uh, you could say a lot about prayer, but I think that one of the things I noticed about being with seven other or eight other or ten other prayer leaders is that when somebody would start Nigun, it's like, you know, when somebody would start the Nigun, like, that person didn't own it anymore. Once it was, he, you know, he or she threw it out into the, into the, the group because everybody there was a group, is like a song leader. They all just pick it up. And so as a leader there, you're not worried about pulling back. You're more... more trying to find the thread again so that you, you know, so that you can still direct it. Because everybody takes it. And that's a beautiful thing, you know. It's a beautiful thing where people are like singing it, like you're actually singing it like you are singing for other people too. You're not just singing it to yourself. So like the difference between, na 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 sing it for myself, it's a nice tune. na 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 and singing it like where you're like, you know, you're singing it like you're taking like almost vocal responsibility. Like with you're taking, like, you know, if I drop this, then the nigun's gonna die. So I have to hold it up. You know, it's a big deal. Right. The amazing thing is that that's a great question, and the answer is there will be there are two ways to know. One is. You don't know. In other words, you're listening to how the energy, and somehow you know when it has to end. Like everybody kind of agrees non-verbally, like we're done. Unless somebody else decides that they want to keep it going. (laughs) And then they blow on it, and it keeps going. Or, and this is what happens in in Romamu, or in, in other synagogues like this, the reason, one of the reasons why, uh, that I'm amplified, is that you know, that my, I, I can sing a little bit louder than everybody else so that you can get from me when we're coming in for a landing. But that doesn't mean, like, the whole time you have to be listening, you can let go and you can just sing. And then let the leader will decide, you know, if it's, this is the last time, but you can keep, stay connected. And the, in a worst-case scenario, you wind up singing half a note Beyond what the what leader wants it to stop, so you're like na 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 na, and I go 
na 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 and then the other person goes na 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 and then they realize okay it's over you know and it's nishka feilach it's like it's not such a big deal you know happens in concerts all the time you what you know so the the uh, the thing the thing is to be um, is to you know in, in when we're singing songs in the, in a community is to sing them unabashedly. And to use that as your practice is like, you know, to really own the song, listen, and then just sing it full throttle. And forget about, you know, forget about any self, um, you know, self-concern or, or awareness that you're being perceived in a certain way, any self-image. Just to sing fully, you know. I thought I saw Sonny's hand. Yeah. This. It's interesting you say this because um, sometimes, including tonight, I wasn't ready to, to end that, you know? Sure. But, but I don't feel like I have, I have to respect you. Sure. You're and, I, and I have to honor you. Sure. And, and, I, and I just feel that, you know? No, I, I think that that's, that's one of the ways you know it's over. The leader, whoever's calling the shots, so to speak, right. is the person who decides how long it's going to go. and, and um, and if the person's attuned, you can hear if, uh, if, the, if it wants to go longer, you know? Yeah, you could go forever, right? Yeah, right, otherwise it was... Or sing the second stanza. Well, we could sing the third That's stanza. right. right? But there's, we didn't because somebody was... I didn't want to, I didn't want driving to. ...driving the bus. I was driving so the bus. So we kept the bus like on wanted, the path. You wanted that second stanza. So I had this image tonight, just before you said that, and I felt like how I always loved being around a campfire and singing. And then I realized that what I was loving then was my roots of my Jewish roots, but I didn't know it. So tonight, as we were singing, I was feeling that feeling of that we've been around this campfire before. Yeah. And it was just the feeling of all of us together that was part of it. Uh huh. And it was the first time I thought of it that way. And it was Beautiful. Yeah. It could also be just also the, both that and a universal. You know, sing, we've been singing as long as we've has been, been Homo sapiens probably around various campfires in our D, in our collective DNA. Yeah. It's, there's a, something that happens, there's a resonance that happens when we sing, where we, we vibrate, we attune ourselves right. to others. Yeah. And the harmonies begin to come out, and, and the heart opens. So that's what we've been doing at this uh, retreat in this person's home. And, um, you know, it's part of this larger project that's called Prayer as Practice. Ramamu is co-sponsoring tomorrow with the Institute for Jewish Spirituality and BJ a, a full-day uh, conference on what it would look like if we were to reframe what worship services were from worship services to practice. Like, does that matter? Does it matter or not? I mean, that's essentially the conversation tomorrow. Does, does the game, does it change in a, in a conversation where obligation is, where no one really feels obligated any longer? <coughs> like, I can't get up at the pulpit and say to everybody, you know, according to Jewish law, we all have an obligation to, to pray three times a day. Well, men do. Women have an option. So, is that a relevant category for most people? Not, not necessarily. But what if I told you that, that your practice, um, it, it's up to you how often you want to practice, but if you want to be really good at prayer, whatever that is, you'd probably practice more frequently. It's up to you. Depends on how flexible you want your spiritual hamstrings to be, you know.
So um, then that would change the frame. And then we'd have to actually create a service that actually felt like it was a workout of your, of your soul, you know. So that, that's our conversation tomorrow. And so, we, so what we've been doing is we're sitting in someone's home and we're actually, some of the most beautiful prayer leaders in the world are just leading services all day. Mm-hmm. So uh, yesterday, after, you know, yesterday morning, Michael Strasfeld led a service. And then last night, it was Angela Buchdahl led a service. And this morning, Rabbi Shefa Gold. And then this afternoon, Joey Weisenberg. And all these amazing... Uh, and then tomorrow, it'll be a full day. Uh, it's closed. I, I'm not doing this to... It'll be open at some point. We'll have a, a much larger conference, God willing. But it's just amazing that, that, that that's the conversation. And so we're talking about prayer tonight, and we did last week as well. And um, so... One of the things that I wanted to share with you is something that we were talking about this afternoon in the name of Reb Zalman. Uh, Reb Zalman uh, is uh, the prayer whisperer, you know. He's the, you know, once in a generation person who really knows how to talk about prayer. <coughs> and one of the things that I think that Reb Zalman, yeah, yes. I'm sorry, I have a question about are these innovative different kinds of prayers or structured regular kinds of prayers? Everything. Everything. Because my time on this planet has told me and taught me that Jewish people spend way too much time in prayer. Who told you? Me. You think we spend too much time in prayer? We spend too much time in prayer. I think it's mandated or they're supposedly three times a day. I think it's way too big a part of of our lives. I think it should just be a little bit of a training period so that we can go out and actually do so that when you say we spent the last three days in prayer. Two days. Two days. I, I question, I, I wonder what's coming of that that could yeah. come in a short period and then get out and actually do it. That's yeah. the problem that I, I deal with. Yeah, so here's the, here's, the, here's the answer to that. It's a good question. You're not the, you know, that was the, someone asked that question on the first day. You know, someone who leads prayers for a living. And and here's my answer. So, there's... Human evolution as such is that the greater the depth of something, the less there is of it. Say that again. I will. The greater the depth of something in the world, the less there is of that particular thing, because it takes more time to envelop and enfold depth within that object or that thing, that phenomenon. And as such, there's, it's, it's more rare and more significant, but less important. Meaning, if you were to take away all the humans in the world, you'd still have atoms. There are more atoms than there are, right? There's a greater atomic field than there is homo sapiens who have a developed neocortex, you know. But we enfold more levels of reality within us. So there's fewer of us, but we have more depth than other levels of reality that are enfolded within us. Yeah? Okay. We're at the top of the pyramid so to speak. And therefore, 
And therefore, the, the sine qua non of, of growing from one stage of reality to the other is to develop a tipping point where at a particular level there will be more and more of a particular level of reality until it tips over and produces the next level of reality. At which point that next level that is born from the previous level enfolds the previous level in it and we have the birth of a new level of consciousness. So we needed a few people in the world who recognized that racial difference was ethically problematic. It wasn't going to be all pervasive culturally and socially for a long time. But we needed one person, like an Abraham 2,000, 3,000 years ago, to recognize that if you had one God, that that would shift consciousness. And that that shift in consciousness would actually have ramifications in the world of action. Because tribes wouldn't war against each other because they could be included in a larger, one larger God that can include multiple tribes in one place. We wouldn't have tribes warring with each other. And that bump in consciousness came about by one person's recognition, not in action, but in awareness of a much broader, more complex, more comprehensive map of the world. So the way that action that is perfected proceeds in the world is that we have an inner change that then leads to greater and more comprehensive action that is less violent and does greater good and greater compassion for the greater number of sentient beings. So we need to have uh, both actions and awareness evolution. So prayer, as I understand prayer, is a way of developing human beings with a greater capacity to love. So if that's what you're doing when you're praying, then you are making the most of that level of awareness that you have been, been given, that has been enfolded within you. And Lord knows we have too many people in the world who are acting in ways that are not benevolent and not compassionate. So it's, it's not enough to say to somebody, go out into the world and do things, but what are the practices that actually engage people in evolving so that the actions that they actually take are really of benefit in the world? So it's... It, 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 in, in one sense, you could say, well, we have enough information. Let's just act on the, on the information that we already have. Right? Let's feed the hungry and, and clothe the poor. Don't we know that obviously already? So let's do that. But the problem is that I'm arguing that the technologies that got us to that place are the technologies of interiority, of, of contemplation, of meditation, of prayer. And if you remove those from the world and you remove people who are actually cultivating that, I'm not altogether sure that we continue to have the kind of loving, effective action in the world that you and I both want to see. It could also perhaps go the other way, that if people go out there and interact with each other, other on a regular basis, that they will indeed work backwards into that, that spiritual, because I'm afraid that the people sitting around are doing it as an intellectual exercise, and it never gets out to the people, and everybody says, oh, look at us, we're so cool, and we're so spiritual. Right, uh, that's but, a danger, that's for sure a danger. Sunday, when we were at the Bronfman Center, Judy and I making sandwiches for the people, there was, I think, one other person from Romero. Yeah. And they, were, they kind of didn't know that it was a Romero thing. So, I mean, it, it's a different approach, and maybe somebody once told me that it's an orchestra, and we need different mm -hmm. kinds. But my 
an approach has often been to get out on the street and do it and then grow from there in the spirituality as compared to the other because I think the rabbis kind of built that and they kind of get off on the spirituality. Well, here's the, here's, here's the it never gets down to the Well, you know, I, again... He's sitting in the ghetto and he's hungry and tired. And yeah. Well, here's the problem. Here's the problem for me is that the same rabbinic tradition that is mandating all of these ethical and moral actions is also mandating prayer. And certainly there's a tension between uh, a, what, kind of a monastic tradition where you're sitting all day and you're, and you're meditating or praying and actually getting out in the world and doing things. But I think that that tension is best alleviated by dancing together instead of seeing them as, as polarities. I think that if prayer is the cleansing, if, if prayer is a shower for your soul, right, or laundering your soul's clothing, it just, it should be in a sense allowing you then to go out into the world and, and feel refreshed, right? So if prayer is just a contemplation of God alone, I would probably agree with you. Although I, I have my, I have personal beliefs about that too. So I personally believe that each and every one of us has the whole universe in us. And so if I'm bumping up a level of awareness, the whole universe bumps up too. So I, you know, so I have a kind of belief system that doesn't allow completely for, like I do think it's okay for some people to be sitting and meditating all day on God, and that that actually benefits the world. But be that as it may, even if I were to to accede to what you're saying and concede that, that there is a danger of kind of spiritual materialism where I'm not just trying to hoard money, let's say, in a kind of capitalist model, but I'm a spiritual capitalist. Like, I have, I have more money than I, could, than I know what to do with, and I just keep hoarding it. Right? That's all I do is just pray, 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 and I put it into the bank, and I'm not doing anything with it. It's not part of an energetic reciprocity that is moving in the universe. So, like, my compassion isn't known in the world as love in action, that I think there is a problem. But if, if prayer is, again, laundering my soiled, cynical clothing, right, the clothing that, the, the dross of living in a world that is, it inevitably has resistance, and I have to cleanse it, and I have to stretch it out and open it and air it and all those metaphors, then it actually creates a space where that I'm more responsive to the universe and more responsive to the needs in the universe and that you know if that's the argument and we look at faith based you know faith based organizations are doing some of the most important work in the world it's not as if they're just praying on Sundays and not doing anything on on the rest of the week so i think it's it's you need to see both of those and i'm really disappointed that you were you were the only one there he wasn't he wasn't, he wasn't. Uh, 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 howard's wife uh, jane and i were at the same there. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't at Bronfman, but I came to the uh, dialogue. We'll talk. Yeah. It might so be a matter of communication because I'm not. It's not reaching my brain, and I would love to do that. Listen, guys, we announced we announced stuff at Roman, but we spent 15 minutes announcing various things, and people don't. And, and, and Ruben works an hour on uh, two hours a week on the newsletter right. with 40 things on the newsletter, and people are not are not people focusing on them. But they're tired. They're not reading the newsletter. Yeah. We had a special. Uh, people read it and they just don't do it. That you got when you came in with your handout about two weeks ago because okay. Charlie wasn't okay. here. We'll talk. Yeah. It's not. It's not you. It's it's right. it's it's systems. Retired. Yeah. 
Heschel's uh, statement about praying with your feet. Right. Does that combine both of what you're saying? Praying what? Praying with, Heschel, said, Heschel famously said, you know, when he was asked why he was, uh, mm-hmm. he was marching in Selma, and he said, you know, they asked him, Rabbi, you know, isn't this itself a, you know, aren't you supposed to be sitting and learning or praying or whatever it is? He said, yeah, I'm praying with my feet. That's what my feet are doing right now. As I'm marching, I'm praying with my feet. So, yeah, we talked about that today, too, and this comes back to the piece about Reb Zalman. So Reb Zalman said, very beautifully, we read a piece from him today, where he said that, that in the world of, the title of the piece was Why Theologians Have a Hard Time with God. <laughs> and the piece was essentially that, that prayer happens in the four worlds. Let's say there's the Asiya, the world of, of, of the physical, right? Yitzira is the world of the emotions. Briya is the world of, of, the, of the ideas of the mind. And Atzilut is the world of, of pure spirit, right? Mind, I'm sorry, body, heart, mind, and spirit. So he said prayer really only happens from the world of, from below Bria. Meaning, you don't pray to forms or intellectual forms, the contemplative practices. Prayer is, that's contemplation. That's quiet. That's meditating on God's perfection. But prayer happens, in, in, in prayer, you need a partsuf. And a partsuf is, is a term that is used in Kabbalah. We, we did it when we did a Lurianic, we did a Lurianic year, we talked about partsufim, the partsufim. What are the partsuf? And partsuf comes from the, the Latin word personore. It's a person. Person is a mask. A partsuf is a mask. So God, we call it in Kabbalah, luvushim, God wears clothing. So when I call God, you know, El Melech Naaman, God is a, a trustworthy king. That's a partsuf. When I say you, Baruch Atah, the word Atah is a partsuf. I'm putting a face on God, and I know that the face is idolatrous if I take it literally. But I need it in order to have an emotional relationship with an abstraction. I need to personify these abstractions. So partsufim are another way of talking about the sfirot. All of the sfirot are partsufim. All of the sfirot are ways of relating to that which is beyond relational referent. You know, if I want to say, I love mathematics, I have a relationship with mathematics. Right? Some of you could say that, right? I, have, I love mathematics. It's hard to imagine somebody, you know, even, even the most brilliant mathematician who's made his life's work mathematics, you know, you know dancing with a mathematics workbook or whatever it is. Uh-huh. Or writing a love letter to, to, uh, to the Pythagorean theorem. You know, I was thinking about you last night and, uh, <laughs> and you've helped make so many problems soluble. It's very difficult to imagine a, a passionate, loving, 
fully engrossing relationship with and distraction. Of course, there is a notion of a passionate mind. And certainly, there were philosophers whose minds were on fire for, for truth or, for, or for, for, uh, for wisdom. But in order for there to be an address of, for dveikut, for, for devotion, we need to give, it, we need to give a, a pet name to God. Rabia called it a pet name. A great mystic. She said she was knocking on God's door for years and wondering why she was not allowed into the arms of the beloved. And then she, someone came along and said, you've been calling God by the wrong name. And she realized, oh, I better find a pet name for God. Cause the, I have a so this is the problem for a lot of us moderns and postmoderns is that we don't like a lot of the pet names that, that, and the frames and the root metaphors that we were handed down. Like, it's not very hard to realize why somebody might not like the King of Kings. You know? Mm-hmm. For some people, it might be very useful. Some people, I mean, I don't know what you guys, anybody want to offer up what your pet name for God is? Like, in your moments when you talk to God, if you talk to God or Goddess, do people have a sense of what, how they address the divine? Like, I mean, you might God. want... God. So, so for Max, it's, you say God. Yeah. Hashem. You say Hashem. I'm trying to, I work with this image of feeling embraced. So just, like you, you, you work with the sense of being physically, it's more for you, it's kinesthetic. You feel that you are being embraced. Yeah. And do you have any, are there any... It, Sometimes I feel like, I'm beginning to realize it can be, have humor, it can, I, I, it's like, to make it more like, somebody really there, you know, so, I try to, feel like a real presence, and also I imagine light. Okay, so you have images of light, and then yeah. do you have any particular, is there a nominal or nomial, is there any mm-hmm. word, or you, is it you? No. Okay. Anybody use you, ata, or you, or anybody? Yeah. Never even occurred to you. Yeah. So what do you, but what? you're suggesting that it's a beautiful thing. Uh-huh. So, so do you have a... Um, Creator of all that is. So, so you would do something like that. Okay. Does anybody actually have a practice that they where they where they invoke where they like invocation to invoke is to actually call forth. It's very interesting. We were talking a lot about this the last couple of days. The word God. Anybody know where the word God comes from? No, not from good. It's not. It's not a shortened version of good. Gadol. No, that's that's Hebrew. Although that's cute. <laughs> I like that. Gadol means great. Gadol. God's Gadol. It actually comes, it's an old, it's old German, and it means to invoke. God, the word God means that which is invoked. And invoked also comes from that which is given voice to. Invoke. It's like that which is given voice to. So what do you call forth? God is the label that calls forth something. Some doesn't have to be a thing. Something, some existence, some a relationship or a dimension within me, outside of me, whatever it is. So, so Barbara, what were you going to say? I was going to say it's part of my practice. What is part of your practice? Talking to you. Talking to you. Yes. So when you're in the presence of the divine, you have a sense of when you speak of that or to that, you say you. Right. I have even done 
In his bodhis, when you do the practice of the Rav Nachman's practice. What's it called? His bodhis means, his bodhis means, his bodhis is a word that was used by